Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. your Bibles, I invite your attention to the word of the Lord to Psalms 34, Psalms 34, and I want to read a few verses at the beginning of the Psalm, and then I want to skip down to the 17th verse, but we'll begin right with the first verse this morning. Aren't you glad that you chose to come to the house of God? The Psalm begins, I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. And the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. Turn to your neighbor and say, you know, praise is a whole lot better when we do it together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Just because you live for God doesn't mean that you're not going to be afflicted. It doesn't mean that life is not going to happen. It doesn't preclude problems or inoculate you from trouble. But the Lord delivereth him out of them. And I want you to say this, all. He keepeth all. Everybody say all. His bones, not one of them is broken. There's a theme that that runs through this. Verse 21 says, evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. That means brought to nothing. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants And none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. None of them that trust in the Lord are going to be brought to nothing. Over and over again, even in these first verses that I read, it uses this word and it seems like throughout this chapter there's a going back and forth from all or nothing. All or nothing. And he's contrasting these two things throughout this entire song. And so I want to use that as a title this morning. All or nothing. Could you say that with me? All or nothing. Amen. Let's lift up our hands and let's pray for the Lord God of heaven to bless, to nurture, to anoint 
in this service. Jesus, we're praying, Lord, that your word would encourage and bless and help folks in this place. I pray, God, that the hungry would be filled and those that come in need of answers would receive answers. Those that come in need of blessing would receive blessing. Those that come in need of a fresh word would receive that fresh word from heaven. Have your way in this place, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for standing, and you may be seated. All or nothing. Unbeknownst to many, Psalms 34 represents one of the most bizarre moments, in my opinion, in the entirety of David's life because it's inextricably linked to 1 Samuel chapter 21. And I'll explain a little bit about what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 21 in just a moment. But his erratic behavior has been deemed by some theologians as temporary insanity. You know what temporary insanity is? It's when a person, because of external pressures or situations that are going on, maybe even internally, and the buildup of those things causes them to respond in a way that perhaps they would not have under normal circumstances. In fact, this has been the plea in many court cases that I was suffering from temporary insanity. To give you a little background, David has recently fled from Saul as a fugitive. This man that he loved, respected, looked up to, and more than anything, revered his position as God's anointed. This man that he has really done so much for, he feels the rejection of Saul, and more than just rejection, it is moving into a place where he actually feels that his life is threatened. He feels danger from Saul. And so he goes and flees to the house of God that is at Nob. That's a good place to go when you find yourself with problems. The house of God is a good place to go when you find yourself feeling rejection from people of this world. Maybe situations have put you in a place that you don't understand and you're confused as David was. And so he went to the house of God. And I want to underscore it again because I didn't hear very many amens. That's a good place to go when you're in trouble. And so he goes to the house of God and he found some very important things there. The Bible tells us that because of fleeing in haste that he went away without anything and he did not even have food to support his journey. He and the men that were with him went to the house of the Lord and the priest Abiathar met him there and he asked if there was any bread that they may be able to eat, and the priest told him, notified him that the only bread that was there was the holy bread that was sanctified only for the priest to eat. And so David begins to explain to him that these men have been on a journey. He 
begins to explain that they have kept themselves clean and righteous the last few days and maybe this would qualify them under these extenuating circumstances to be able to partake of this bread. In some way, the priest feels the, the need is urgent and so he, he gives the bread to David and these men and they did eat and after they conclude eating David asked a question. He said, is there any weapons here? I don't know why David would ask such a question. It doesn't seem like you would go to the house of God to find weapons like this. It doesn't seem that you would go to the house of God. This is not a armory. It's not a, it's not a place where you would find weapons necessarily laid up. But the priest said there's only one, there's one sword that is here. It is the sword that you brought to me, the sword that you brought to the house of God when you won the victory in conquering Goliath. And that has been here since that time. And so he takes this sword. He said there's none like it. And more than anything, more than a weapon to be used, this was something that I feel encouraged the spirit that was very downtrodden at this particular time of David, very discouraged, if you will, maybe even a bit depressed at this particular time. This was a lift, if you will, to his spirit, and he found courage to go on. Then, strangely enough, and this is where the story, in my view, takes a hard right turn. And it just seems like it's, it's one of those things that's hard for you to get your mind around. It's hard for you to understand the actions of David at this particular time. But strangely, he had straight for Gath. Gath, I might remind you, is the headquarters of the Philistines. This is the capital. This is where the... King, King Achish of the Philistines dwells. Not only that, this is the very place where Goliath hails from. This is where Goliath was from, the one that David, the giant that David has slew on the battlefield. And you know because later in David's life he encountered some of the brothers of Goliath. So not a place that you would go when you're feeling weak. Not a place that you would go when you're wanting peace. Not a place that you would particularly think of that would be a good place to go when you're in trouble is right into the jaws of your enemy. Because the Philistines, you must understand, was a perennial enemy of Israel. An avowed enemy of Israel and would be throughout all of David's life. In fact, if there's one enemy that he seems to never fully conquer, if there's one enemy that always seems to regather and rise up again, it is the Philistines always and continually. He's fighting these Philistines throughout his life. It begins really with the giant Goliath, but it it follows him all of his days fighting these Philistines. And there's reasons for that that we find in the Word of God. But this seems like a fool's errand. This seems like a mindless mistake. You're, you're not thinking clear, David. 
This is a crazy miscalculation on your part. However, to fully comprehend this story and maybe even give meaning to the reasons why David did this, you have to go back and you have to understand uh, what led up to these events, what led up to this situation. Somebody told me one time, there's no excuses really for what happens to us or what we do with what happens to us in life. But there is always reasons why people respond the way that they do. There's not always excuses for why. You cannot always excuse their behavior, in other words, but there's always reasons why people make choices and decisions that they make in life. And I concur with that statement. David, at this point, is a broken man. In fact, I don't know of any point in his life he was any more broken than he was at this moment. He has went from being a national hero to at least feeling like an anathema in the nation of Israel. He has felt like a pariah that is totally misunderstood. He has mentally, emotionally been abused and badgered by this man again that he respected for the hand of God that had been upon his life and the anointing that had been upon his life, this man, King Saul. But he has been tormented by this man for the last long while. This has been something that has been constant in every day. This man that he would come, that, that asked for him to come, that, that invited him to come and comfort him with a harp and to drive evil spirits away from him, only to have him in turn throw javelins at him. Not just to threaten him a little bit, but actually to take his life. And thankfully he was able to dodge those javelins. But no doubt he had to be thinking, is this the way that you thank me for giving up myself and doing what I can and being a comfort to you, and bringing peace to you, and trying my very best to be a servant to you. Not only is he feeling this pressure from King Saul, but he's been separated now from his dearest friend in life. The Bible says that these two gentlemen were so close, Jonathan and David, that their souls were knit together. When you saw one, you saw the other. Their heart beat as one. There was a commonality between the two. They had, they had a desire to do great things for God. And they no doubt spoke about it with one another and conversed about it with one another. And their hearts, the scripture says, was knit together. These men had an uncommon bond and relationship and friendship that is one of the greatest in scripture that we can read about and no doubt they had plans for the future but all of that was aborted because of the actions of Saul and what was going on and David not feeling welcome and even feeling like his life was was threatened and he even makes this statement he said I feel like I'm just there's a step between me and death I'm just staying one step 
ahead of death. Your, your father, Jonathan, wants to take my life. And Jonathan tries to talk him down and tries to tell him it's a figment of his imagination. And so he tells Jonathan, he said, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll not show up for supper tonight. You go ahead and show up and you see what your father's reaction is. And then you come and tell me. And so that was the deal that they made. And sure enough, Saul's response to David being absent from that dinner was not good. And Jonathan went back and, and through a series of events, he proved to David what David already knew. And that is that Saul wants to slay you. He wants to kill you. He wants to remove you. He's insanely jealous of you. And the best thing that you could do was to flee, is to run for your life. And so that's what David does leading up to this. This is a man that at this point in his life has so many insecurities. We we like to think of him as being the great giant slayer, the man that was able to take matters in his own hands, the man that was able to take bears and, and, and slay them and lions that came against his father's flock and slay them. And then when a giant came out of all the men of Israel, he was not the greatest. He was not the one that had the most strength or the most training or the most experience but he was the one that was willing to go down and face the giant. And we like to tell that story of how that God gave him the victory. He had an uncommon faith and trust in God. That God, whatever the challenge was, God was able to bring victory to him in his life. No matter what he was facing or what he was going through, that God was able to bring him through as a conqueror and give him triumph over every trial and every situation that he encountered. But now he's faced with financial insecurities. He, he doesn't live and able to abide in his father's house and make a living there. He's no longer connected to the house of Saul, who is the king of Israel. And so he's no longer able to be there. Financial securities, food insecurities, and and also social insecurities. All of this is culminating into a situation that David has never faced in all of his life. Now, I think it's important to note that God had delivered David out of every enemy that had came against him uh, all the way back to his early days as a young man he had seen God and I've already recounted all the, the challenges that came against him and God was able to deliver him out of every one of those situations when, when, when there was an attack uh, no matter if it was something you could physically lay your eyes on like a bear, a lion or a giant, God gave him the victory it didn't matter if it was something uh, spiritual, he was always able to obtain the victory, David had known nothing but victory and God's deliverance throughout all of his life, but this was the first time that we see David needing God to deliver him out of what I would call a self-imposed problem in his life. Somebody says, oh, what, what are you talking about? What, what are you referring to? You know, no matter if someone drops a six-pound weight on your toe or you drop it on your own toe, it hurts all the same, doesn't it? It doesn't matter if it comes from something external or if it's a self-imposed problem and mistake that you have made. 
and difficulty that you've created for yourself. And might I say, a situation that is nobody's fault but your own. It all hurts the same. And maybe there's somebody here that is wondering, can God deliver me out of a situation that I created for myself by a bad choice, by a, by a bad decision, by some, some event that took place in my life where I didn't go the right direction and do the right thing, but now I'm here and I don't know what to do. And I just wonder, God's delivered me out of all of the events of the past that maybe wasn't my problem. Maybe you came up through a family that, uh, by, by no fault of your own, didn't offer you much security, didn't offer you much support, didn't offer you much help. Maybe you suffered abuse in that family. Maybe you come up out of a situation of poverty. Maybe you came through a situation that was dreadful and horrible and uh, God delivered you out of all of that. Maybe you've been attacked at different times in your life by different situations and you've watched God single-handedly bring you out of those situations and you were able to conquer in those challenges of life. You were able to overcome. Aren't you thankful that when the enemy attacks, when situations arise, that God is able to bring us out that God is able to bring us through that his grace doesn't fail us when we need him the most that his grace doesn't fail us when we're faced amen or even surrounded by an enemy in our lives that God always comes through and he always causes us to conquer to triumph amen aren't you thankful for that today Amen. I, I, I see I need to, I need to preach about that a little bit because there's some of you in this place, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, amen. You, you didn't do anything to cause it. It wasn't anything, uh, amen, but just life itself that happened uh, in situations. Maybe it was the choices of others and the decisions of others uh, that brought this situation upon you. You couldn't control it. Uh, it just happened. It was a part of life. But aren't you thankful that God was strong enough and powerful enough and gracious enough and merciful enough to step into that situation with you and help you to overcome that situation and help you to rise above that situation and gave you the strength that you needed. He gave you the wisdom that you needed. He gave you the ability, amen, to trust in him and have faith in him. When you were weak, he was strong. When you needed him, he was there. When you didn't know what to do, amen, he was there for you. I'm thankful that God doesn't fail us when we need him desperately. I'm thankful that God doesn't leave us amen when we need him the most but he's there for us and he helps us in our situation. I'm preaching to people today. Amen. You got blindsided by situations. I'm preaching to people today. Amen. That the doctor looked at you and told you dreaded news. Things that you thought you would never hear. And that you never wanted to hear. But you're still here today because God is faithful. You're in this place because God is able to sustain. And God is a healer. And God is a way maker. And God is able to take control. When you feel like you're out of control. 
I'm preaching to people in this place. I don't want to pull any scabs off any wounds this morning. But I'm preaching to people in this place that through your childhood, you suffered abuse. Through your childhood, you suffered agonizing situations. And you've grappled with that. And you wondered, is there any hope for me? But you came to an altar one day. And you gave your life to God. And you surrendered yourself to Him. And because you surrendered yourself to Him, He brought healing that you thought was not even possible. He brought wholeness and completeness that you couldn't even imagine before. I'm thankful that he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. When you felt like you couldn't trust anyone, you put your trust in Jesus and you knew and you know now that you can trust him. He'll never hurt you. He'll never leave you wounded, but he'll always bring wholeness and healing to your life. Oh, let's give praise to the Lord. Let's give thanks to the Lord. You say, I understand that God. I understand that God that comes and intervenes for us and rescues us from things that we can't help. Things that we didn't have control of. Decisions made and choices and things that we, we clearly didn't have any say in. I understand that, God. How that he intervenes in those things. But preacher, what about in a weak moment? What about in a time of my life? When I was tempted or I was struggling. When I was, as David, broken. I made a miscalculation. I made a misstep. I took a wrong turn. And a wrong choice was made. Well, I want to preach to you this morning. Is that okay? The rest of my time here today, I'm going to dedicate to you. Because I felt like the Lord moved on me yesterday afternoon. And I could not figure out... What God was trying to speak to me through this psalm. I thought at first that I was going to preach a message about brokenness. And I began to read through this. And I know that's a part of what we're, we're preaching here this morning. But as I began to read it and I read it again and I prayed over it and I read it again. It began to come together like a puzzle. And I began to understand what God was trying to convey and what God was wanting me to speak about to this church because I feel like there's people in this place. You made some bad decisions and you made some bad choices along the way and you, you, you took a turn somewhere and you wonder, does God, does God still have mercy on me at this point? Does God still care about me where I'm at now? Amen. I, I know it's nobody's fault but my own. I own it. I take responsibility for it. I'm not trying to shove it off. I'm not trying to excuse it. I'm not trying to blame it on somebody else. I'm going to tell you, you're halfway to victory just with that kind of attitude. You're halfway to victory just with that kind of spirit that said, I'm not trying to blame nobody. It isn't the church's fault. It isn't the preacher's fault. It isn't nobody else's fault. It isn't my daddy or my mama's fault. It isn't somebody back there's fault. Amen. I own it. 
This is mine. I've made this mistake. I've suffered some consequences for it. But God, I just wonder, are you able to pull me out? Are you able to bring me up? Will I ever get back to where I was before? Will I ever be able to worship like I used to worship and feel victory? Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, somebody. Will I ever be able to feel the anointing? Will I ever be blessed like I once was? Will I ever have the hand of God upon me like I used to? Will I ever experience the glory and the power of the Holy Ghost like I used to? If you're out there, David, I'm, I'm preaching to you this morning. The Bible says that he clearly made a bad decision and bad choice when he went to Gath and realized it immediately once he got there. Because as he begins to make his way up the borders to the borders of Gath, and those soldiers, the Philistines, looked out there and saw him. You can read about this. 1 Samuel chapter 21. They look out there and they said, Can you believe your eyes? Is, is that who I think it is? That's David. That's David. That is, that is the one that they sung about. Saul hath killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. No doubt they start licking their chops, as it were. And no doubt they start reaching for their sword and said, man, this is too good to be true. I mean, the giant slayer is walking up the road. The guy that we've been, the one that's the most wanted in Gath, you know, the one that we got at the post office, we got the big sign with the reward and the picture out there. If, if I don't, my eyes are not failing me, I recognize him to be the one that is coming up the road. Hey, this is too good to be true. This is going to be too easy for us. Hey, Amen. we're just going to be able to go out there and, and uh, take David with no fight at all. I figured we'd have to go to a battlefield to get this opportunity. I feel like we'd have to be engaged in some kind of big uh, battle. It had to be set in array for us to be able to get this kind of opportunity. But he's coming straight up the road. And when he heard these words, and notice what they said. David was not really a king as of yet. But they knew he was anointed. Because they said, this is King David. Read it there. It astonished me when I read that. This was something that was not even recognized in Israel. But the enemy was already recognizing it. I'm going to tell you why the devil fights some of you so much is because he knows something that not even you, your family, or those around you have been able to recognize yet. He recognizes the fact that you're anointed. He recognizes the fact that you have the hand of God upon you. He recognizes the fact that there's potential in your life. He recognizes what you can become and what you will be. That's why he resists you. That's why he wants to stop you right now. That's why he wants to keep you out of this altar this morning. That's why he wants you to keep you from coming and repenting this morning. That's why he wants to keep you out of this baptistry from being baptized in Jesus' name. This is why he wants to stop you from being renewed in the Holy Ghost. Yeah. He said, man, this is too good to be true. He's coming right up the road, right into our hands. I mean, lucky day. Look at this. And David realizes this. And that's when there's this switch in his behavior. The Bible said when he heard this, 
he changed his behavior. And he made himself mad. And the scripture says, you read it, that he, he let spittle come out of the sides of his mouth. You, you talk about a raven lunatic, that's what he did. He went to the extreme. And I don't know what it means when it says he, he scrabbled at the door. I, I don't know exactly what that means, but I, I, I got a feeling that he was out of his mind with, 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 with changing his behavior to make himself appear like a maniac, like a madman. And when King Akesh came out and looked at this display of what David was doing, he looked at him and he said these words. He said, what need do I have for a madman? I got enough lunatics to deal with that I'm leading here in the Philistines. Uh, you know, the, the land of the Philistines. I, I, I certainly don't need any more to deal with. We got, we got people in this land that, that, uh, uh, that, that need our support, need our help. I don't need another one of these kind of guys on my hand. I have, do I have need of a madman? He asked the question. And when David realized what a mistake he had made, he said, there's only one way out. And this is the key here this morning. He said, there's only one way out of this situation that I have I've gotten myself into. Nobody else made me get up and come down to Gath. Nobody else. They didn't even invite me to come. I came here on my own. I did this by myself. I got myself in this jam and there's only one way that I'm going to get out of it and it's that I am going to have to humiliate myself. In other words, humility is the only way that I'll ever be able to get out of this situation alive. I'm not going to be able to get out with my dignity. I'm not going to be able to escape with my pride. I'm not going to be able to hold on to all of my arrogance and get out of this problem. I'm not going to be able to walk out tall with my shoulders squared back. The only way I'm going to get out of this is i got to humble myself. What I'm going to tell you, that's still the only way to get God to intervene for you is to humble yourself and come down to an old-fashioned altar and say, God, if it takes tears, that's what I'll do. Amen. If it takes getting down on my knees that's what I'll do if it takes if it cried out I'm not going to worry about what anybody thinks about me I'm not going to worry about what anybody says about me I'm just going to be humble before you because I realize I'm in a fix I realize I got a mess on my hands I realize I've created some trouble for myself I'm going to have to make myself even as a madman if I'm going to get out of this I'm going to tell you if you're going to get out of your trouble. You're not going to be able to go out with your chin jutted out. You're not going to be able to leave this sanctuary with victory in your heart. Amen. With a spirit of pride. You're not going to be able to walk out of this place with your dignity. But if you get deliverance today, you're going to have to come to an altar like everybody else in this place and say, God, I cry unto you. I need you. I desperately desire you. I'm hungry for you, God. Come on, lift up your voice and let's cry out to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Some people in altar, you can remain standing. An altar of repentance is beneath them. It's too low for them. They want to retain their pride. They want to retain their dignity. They want to be arrogant about it and still have God. It doesn't happen that way, friend. The only way you can receive deliverance is you got to be humble. You got to be humble. He said the poor man cried. The poor man cried. That's the humble man. And God heard him. God heard him. I who God's listening for is that one that is humble. That one that will cry out. That one that will call on him. That one that's not worried about what their neighbor says or the person down the pew thinks. They're not worried. Amen. About what anybody thinks about them. They cry unto the Lord. I wonder what could happen here this morning if somebody would cry out. I just wonder what would happen in this place if there would be folks here that would cry out. Amen. I wonder what would happen if there would be somebody that would say, God, I need you so desperately today. I need you so desperately today. I'm not worried about what others may think of me. I wonder what could happen in your home, sir. What would happen in your family? What would happen for your marriage? What would happen in your finances? What would put your children back on the right track? I wonder what it would be. Amen. Could it be that a poor man would cry? Could it be that somebody would say, God, I'm going to give it everything I have. I'm going to cry out to you with all that I've got. David realized something. If I would give him all, he will give me everything. Amen. But if I refuse, I can't expect anything. I can't expect anything to happen. I can't expect anything to change until I cry out, until I call on Him, until I reach out.